Turn your Bibles this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. We've been here for a number of weeks. We continue our working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Folks that are watching by way of live stream, uh, our master clubs are meeting up on the hillside. So folks scattered all around. It's a blessing that all have joined us this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read verses 11 through 20. This evening as we work our way through this chapter. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then he, excuse me, then is our preaching Vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain and you are yet in your sins. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. We have been some time in this chapter of chapter 15 looking at the resurrection. Um, We've noted that the entire chapter is dealing with this particular subject. And I hope you have time, have taken the time to read it yourself. And as we have come together on each Wednesday night, it's really we're going through the book. But now this particular chapter. And the entire book of 1 Corinthians is dealing with issues and problems. We've worked our way through. We've seen these problems. I've often thought I would never want to uh, be a little bit fearful to be pastoring of a church that's named Corinth. Uh, Baptist Church. I don't know about that, but at least if it's this one, uh, when there's a lot of issues here, and Paul's dealing with them as they are coming up, and Paul is instructing, he's admonishing, he's correcting, he's encouraging, and he deals with one issue after another after another, and so it goes. And evidently, word has come to Paul, likely in the form of a letter, asking for Paul's counsel about particular issues and problems that have come up in the church, things that the church is facing. And this letter of 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul is writing back to the church in response to the questions that they've had, giving his counsel, as well as further explaining in particular areas of doctrine. And we've seen that as we've gone forward. And then we come to chapter 15, and there's evidently some questions about the resurrection. Uh, there's some confusion. There's some questioning. So Paul is giving answers here on this particular subject. He's giving his counsel. He's further instructing and encouraging. Uh, evidently there have been some false teachers. Uh, that have now crept in to the church. And they are denying the resurrection. Uh, look with me at, again, verse number 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So evidently there are folks that have come in. They've uh, now 
entered into the church and they're teaching false doctrine. And, and let me just say that's something that we always must be careful about and always must be aware of. Uh, false teachers creeping in unawares and these things happen so subtly and, and they take hold. And, and so these are things that are important issues that every church is, must be aware of and, uh, because the devil wants to get into any church. He wants to get into all of our lives. Uh, if the devil can mess it up, then he's going to do all that he can to do that. And that's what is trying to take place here. And we got to be careful about that as well. Uh, Lakewood Baptist Church is not immune from these kinds of things. And it can happen here. Uh, and we could just be going right along and it would just seem like everything's fine. And all of a sudden a doctrinal issue come up. And we've all known of churches. And I have personally have known of churches where a doctrinal issue has come up. It seems so small. But yet it grew to be something very large. And before you know it, that church is, is in disarray. There's, uh, and it's, it's destroyed. And, and there's a split in that kind of thing. And we want to be careful that that doesn't happen to us. So uh, here, this is evidently what's going on here. Their false teachers have come in. Keep in mind, uh, during this time frame, there's a constant influence of pagan religions within the city of Corinth. We have studied and we've looked at the history of it. Constant influence of paganism all around them. And these Christians, Paul had spent a year and a half there establishing this church. You'll find that back in Acts 18. A year and a half establishing the church. And he taught them. Uh, but they were new believers in Christ. And certainly, uh, like all of us, if we've come to know the Lord later in life, there seems to be that thing called baggage that comes with it, and we've got to un unlearn some things as we go. We've got to learn to submit to the Word of God as we go forward. And so there are the pagan influences that are evident within the church. There was a Jewish sort of mindset, Jewish legalism kind of mindset that was also would have infiltrated and made its way into the church. And all these, whether it was paganism or Jewish legalism, uh, were teaching and they were against the things that Paul had established. There was another thing called Greek philosophy uh, that was also against Paul's teaching. And, and specifically on this matter of the resurrection, there are all kinds of ideas. When we think about resurrection, there are all kinds of ideas. There were then and there's still today. All kinds of ideas of what happens after one dies. What happens after one dies? Now, in a church like Lakewood, we would say, okay, we've got this covered. But, you know, we understand this. We know what the Bible says. But there are people all over the world that really don't know this. They don't have any idea. What happens? Where, where do we go? What, what takes place? And there's so much confusion out there. And Paul really nails it home. And he helps us with this particular thing. And he helps us help others as well. And that's why I believe this kind of teaching, what Paul's doing, is so helpful to us all. There are all kinds of ideas of what happens after death. And there's still, even today, it was then, and it's still the case today. Some believe, we mentioned last week, some believe in this thing called soul sleep. Um, the Jehovah's Witness believe, and they'll teach soul sleep. The Seventh-day Adventists teach soul sleep. Uh, this is where the body dies, and the body returns to the dust, and the soul, the soul rather, it just rests. It lies there, inactive, uh, until a latter time when the resurrection takes place. 
And that, that's what many teach and uh, still around us today. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was a, quite a proponent of this. Uh, I'm not a fan of Martin Luther. I, I try to make sure that uh, I don't use his. I hear people today talking about what a great reform, reformation and the, re, the reform and all of that. I just soon just stay with it. Didn't come out of a reformation. Amen. Uh, didn't have it. Didn't. Wasn't trying to reform anything and fix the church. God's church never went bad, and he always had his remnant. And so, not a fan of, the, of him or his teaching. There's a whole lot we could say there. We won't get caught up in that. But, uh, uh, but the Lutheran church would also hold this kind of thing. Uh, there's others that believe in really a, a complete and utter extinct, extinction, total annihilation at death. Death ends everything. Death ends it all. Uh, again, there's an aspect of the Jehovah's Witness and the Seventh-day Adventists that will teach this kind of thing. The, the Seventh-day folks, they would talk about a hell, but their concept of a hell is, uh, if you've ever been out camping and you got one of those little styrofoam containers and you got a big blaze blowing, you put that something over our little uh, leaf that's just has no, it's uh, just completely dried up and poof, it's gone. Uh, doesn't believe in an eternal uh, hell that the Bible by the way, teaches very clearly. And so they would teach this kind of thing. In other words, in doing so, they reject what the Bible says about an eternal damnation. They reject the immortal soul, uh, the, the, the immortal soul of the believer. So I just let me just say again, I, I, there are some good folks and, and they're, 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 they're very kind people, but uh, the... I've heard it said that the, the Adventist folks, well, they're just like us. No, they're not. Uh, their doctrine is not just like us. Their doctrine is not Bible. And so I want to be careful of that. And I'll probably get beat up on a little bit by saying such a things. But, but I think it's important that we understand uh, about these things. Because uh, these are all around us. And we want to be careful about that. Not be mean. Uh, not be arrogant. But be understanding. And these are so important. The Roman Catholics... Uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the body dies, uh, but for most of the people, after the body dies, the soul goes to purgatory. Some kind of heavenly, uh, you hope, heavenly waiting room where the, the, the body and the soul, they, they're, it's purged of any sin, anything that's remaining over. And, and maybe uh, if you, you say enough rosary, if you... Give a little bit to the priest to get you out of this purgatory. And somehow you'll eventually make it on. By the way, the Bible didn't speak of anything about purgatory. Nowhere in the Bible. It's a, it's a made-up man doctrine uh, that's being taught. It's a doctrine of men. Uh, uh, there's some, the Methodists, the Anglicanism, the uh, Mormonism. Again, they teach that the soul after death waits in the abode of the dead, a place called Hades, they would use that term there, the spirit world, so when we die, the body goes to the grave, and then the soul just hanging out there in this spirit world, waiting until some resurrection takes place. Some people, some religions around the world, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, paganism, they teach reincarnation, a reincarnation. The human soul is continually recycled. Uh, you ever thought about your, some, yourself being just a, a recycled, uh, you know, maybe put a sign, recycled, you know. Uh, they teach a recycling of the human soul uh, from one form to another. You could be 
a, a human and then die and come back as an animal. You could be a, a human, die and come back as a plant. Uh, so it, you, you're just a constant recycling. And all this is depending upon your karma. You know, we hear a lot of talk about this kind of thing. And listen, it's everywhere. Uh, it's prevalent. You hear good karma. Man, we want good karma. Well, that's good works. And depending upon how well you were doing with your current life cycle, if your karma was good and you die, you might come back uh, something a little bit better next time around. So you got to work on this thing. By the way, it's just good works. That's what it's working our way to a better place. Uh, many believe that there's nothing at all after death. The body and soul are absorbed into the universe, absorbed back into nature. It's kind of like you take a, a drop of water and drop it into a, 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 an ocean. You know, what difference does that make? Well, it doesn't make a lot, but it just goes back into the old body of water. When we were uh, in living in Roanoke, Virginia, and Gage was a little fella, and he was up in the backyard one day, and he had one of those little plastic baseball bats, and there was an oak tree was about five times the size of this pulpit, and he was out there just swinging this little plastic bat and beating on that tree. And the lady that owned that thing came outside and said, what in the world are you doing? Would you like it if that tree were to beat you with the bat? And, uh, you know, you're hurting that tree. In other words, uh, that's a living soul. You can't do that. That's awful mean of you. So you just come back as something else, and, and, uh, or you go back into Mother Earth. You know, Mother Earth, you just absorbed back into it. Uh, Buddhism and others, they teach that you can reach a nirvana, um, a, a place of perfect nothingness. Uh, you can't even get your mind around it. A place of perfect nothingness, a place of harmony and happiness, uh, and this is achieved, by the way, you, you go through reincarnation and you keep being reincarnated and reincarnated until you reach a perfect nirvana where you no longer exist, but you exist in perfect happiness. Did that make sense to you? Didn't make sense to me either. But that's what they believe. You exist in a nothingness and a perfect happiness, but you don't exist. One Buddhist said he had reached perfect nirvana. At 35 years of age, but he lived to be another 40 years after that. Now, how does that work? A complete non-existence for the rest, for the other 40 years of his life. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and so, many people have all sorts of things. There's another one, let me mention, that would have been come into play in this time frame when Paul was teaching with the church at Corinth. Uh, it was something called dualism. This would have been very popular in Greek philosophy, um, Gnosticism and that kind of thing would have been along these lines. Dualism uh, was the thought that only, that, that only things that are spiritual were good. Anything that was spiritual was good, but anything that was physical was wicked, was evil. So your spiritual part of you was a good thing, but your physical part was an evil thing. So for someone who believed in dualism, when you died, it was the best thing that could have happened to you because you got rid of the bad part. And the only thing left would be the good part. So it was a good thing. The thought of a resurrected body for this kind of individual would have been unthinkable. <laughs> Who wants that resurrected body? Man, it's wicked. It's awful. Uh, uh, they, they believed in the immortality of the soul but, but certainly didn't want the, the body. In fact, 
the death of the body would have actually been a good thing for the soul. The evil had finally departed away from it. No doubt the church, when we think about these things, the church at Corinth was being infiltrated, influenced by the Greek philosophy that was surrounding them. Another influence may have come from the teaching of the Sadducees. You know, the Sadducees, you heard the saying, why are they sad? You see, they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're so sad. Uh, They deny the bodily resurrection. But from whatever direction that it was coming, Paul was dealing with it. Paul was seeking to set the record straight. A denial of a resurrection is a denial of the Bible itself. Now, I'm talking about a bodily resurrection. It's a denial of the Bible itself. The Bible is clear. There will be a bodily resurrection. There's the resurrection. There's the resurrection of the church saints. That will take place. The second coming of Christ. The rapture. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Um, these are saints are going to be resurrected to eternal life. We spent some time a number of weeks ago dealing with this particular thing, the rapture. We are raptured to eternal life with Christ. For there shall we ever be with the Lord. There's the resurrection of the unsaved. This resurrection is to eternal damnation. Let me read you Revelation chapter 20 verses 10 and following. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, here it is, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now, who are these? These are lost people. They are standing. They saw the dead. Why? How could this happen? There's a resurrection. And they're raised. And they're raised to stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, or in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we spent a little time last week talking about that. The resurrection of the unsaved. So there's certainly going to be a bodily resurrection. That's not a spiritual thing that uh, John is speaking of in the book of Revelation. That's a literal thing. These people are raised and they're standing before God and giving an account to the Lord as to their rejection, their life of rejection before God. And listen, we think about that, but listen to the words of Jesus concerning the resurrection of the saints. In John 6 and 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Day. Here's clearly a bodily resurrection. In John chapter number 11, you'll know the story. Remember the story of Lazarus. Um, he's now in that grave, and uh, Lord, he's by now he stinketh. Uh, it's been a long time since he's been in that grave. And Mary and Martha, uh, they are grieving over this, and, and, and Jesus 
says, thy brother shall rise again. He says to Martha, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha says, Lord, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus responds by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Lazarus, uh, he called Lazarus out of that tomb. Lazarus come forth. Lazarus came forth out of that tomb. And he was a type, Lazarus is a type that foreshadowed the resurrection of all those born-again believers in Christ. He was just a type that foreshadowed our resurrection. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's that resurrection, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and there shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And that is comforting. That is comforting. I'm glad we don't sorrow as those who have no hope, uh, because we have hope in Christ. There is hope in Christ. And those who would believe otherwise literally have no hope. Uh, But we got a hope in Christ. I look forward to seeing our loved ones that have gone on before. Uh, we look forward to, to seeing Christ and face to face when that which is perfect is coming. As we mentioned that several weeks ago, I believe that's the, the eternal state with Christ. When that which is perfect, we will see him face to face and we'll join again with those lost, or excuse me, those saved loved ones that have gone on before us. So that's a blessed hope of the believer. Comfort one another with these words. And certainly Paul had taught the same resurrection. Paul had taught these resurrection truths to the church at Corinth. Uh, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine into them. Uh, and he goes on to talking about the resurrection. That's not the particular verse I'm looking for. but I, and I, So I've written it down wrong. Verse 14, that's it. Here it is. Know that... He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. That's the verse. Christ was raised up. We also shall be raised up because he was raised. Paul, here at Corinth in the face of all the doubts that came into the church, uh, brought in by the deniers, the heretics, the philosophies, Paul now gives proof after proof that there will be and there is a bodily resurrection. And this is a real happening. This is literally going to take place. And listen, it's to be expected by all believers. Let me just back up and say it's to be expected by everybody. Saved or unsaved, but it's going to make a difference which resurrection people take part in. And I want to be in this resurrection. I want to be in the one that Paul's talking about. I don't want to be in that revelation resurrection. I want to be in this resurrection. The resurrection when Christ comes back again at the rapture. And I believe it could take place at any time. He mentions out of chapter number 15. In verse number 4. He talks about the proof of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians. Look at verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 15. The proofs of the resurrection. He was buried and then he rose again the third day. What's the proof? There it's in the verse. By according to the scriptures. 
That's the proof. The scriptures are proof of the resurrection. Then he gives several proofs by way of eyewitnesses. He mentions verse number 5. He mentions Cephas was an eyewitness. This is Peter. And verse number 6, the 600 at once. These are eyewitnesses, some who are, have passed on, but there are some that are even alive today. In other words, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Go see if their stories mesh. Uh, there's a resurrection. It's real. It's proof, positive. These are eyewitnesses. The eyewitness of James. Uh, verse number 7, the eyewitness of all the apostles. And then Paul concludes it with the eyewitness of himself. He says, he's been seen of me. Uh, Paul says, I've seen the resurrection. I've seen the resurrected Christ. I know he's alive. And Paul said, he went from being persecutor of the church. He said, I persecuted the church because of these things. Verse number 9. For I am the least of the apostles and not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was persecuting the believer because of their belief in the resurrection, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he was persecuting these individuals. And he goes from being a persecutor to a preacher. Why? Because he met Jesus. He met Jesus on that road to Damascus. And it changed his life from persecutor to preacher. Verse number 11. Wherefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. And so this leads us up to where we are. And Paul's dealing with some things, some facts with regards to the resurrection. So let's look at them. He mentions the, the opposition, the, the problem out of verse number 12. How say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead. So that's the issue, the opposition that's come up. And then in the verses that we read, verses 13 through 20, he gives... Some facts. He actually gives eight facts with regards to the resurrection and, uh, and, and, and the belief. And by the way, the resurrection is fundamental. It's essential to our faith. You cannot deny the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, and be born again. Uh, it's essential. It's like if we had a three-legged stool up here. And, and, and you take one of those and you had the death, the burial, and the resurrection, all three le legs. You pull that resurrection leg out there and it's not stable. It, it doesn't stand. It's not going to hold you up. And in this case, it's, it's essential to our faith. And Paul is he's answering these, these resurrection deniers out of these verses. So let's look at these facts very quickly. Fact number one out of verse number 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then this, the obvious part of that, and this obviously points to the fact, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ could not have been risen. If there's no such thing as a resurrection, then Christ himself could not be risen. Look what he says in verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Uh, this is not asking a question here in, the, in the, the, uh, the way this is constructed in the original language. He's making a statement. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ can't have risen either. He, he, this is not, this, he, there's no way that he could have come out of the grave. And again, the issue was the denial of a resurrection body. The false teachers, they could claim that Christ 
rose from the dead spiritually. They may not have denied there was a spiritual resurrection, but not a physical one. All these sightings and all these things of Christ, um, they were all, they were spiritual. Uh, these sightings that were mentioned, Paul's giving proof, they may have saw Christ, but they saw a ghost of Christ. They saw a, a spiritual part of Christ. Uh, but Jesus, after the resurrection, we know this is not true because uh, did he not eat with the disciples? Did he not spend time eating with them? Uh, he said to them in Luke 24, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So this is not a, a, a ghost. This is not a spiritual. This is, this is a flesh and blood, flesh and bones, Real live Jesus Christ. They'd come up out of that grave. And Jesus was raised with a body. And by the way, he's coming again with a body. He ascended into heaven with a body. And we also, as saints, as born-again believers, we will rise. We will go up to be with him. How? With a body. With a resurrected body. So fact number one, there's no resurrection. Christ could not have been risen. He's not alive. Fact number two. If there be no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. He says that in verse number 14. And if Christ be not raised, then our preaching is in vain. Uh, the word vain simply is emptiness, meaningless, worthless. In other words, the gospel message is empty. It's meaningless. Uh, it, it's, it's in vain. Uh, the whole gospel is empty. Without it, there be no good news. Without it, sin and death have conquered us all. There's no good news if there's no resurrection. He says our preaching is in vain. Well, it's been a whole lot of preaching. I've heard a whole lot of preaching in my life. And, uh, and, and, and done a little bit of preaching every now and then. And all of it had been for naught. If, if he'd not come out of the grave. Fact number three. If Christ is not risen from the dead, your faith is in vain. He finishes up verse 14 by saying that. Your faith is also in vain. Again, worthless. Faith in a dead man has nothing of substance or of value. We look for a Savior. And without the resurrection, we have none. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the, the hall of faith. If there be no resurrection, it would be the hall of foolishness. The hall of foolishness. All those people who died and died at the stake and were burned as martyrs and were beaten and dragged and even pulled apart and all sorts of things that happened throughout the centuries. All of these were fools if there had been no resurrection. And all of our faith, all the things, the way in which we are living, all this is for naught. Fact number four, verse number 15, he says, If there be no resurrection, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. In other words, if there's no resurrection, then we are all liars. We're all liars. We always have been and always will be. We're just keeping the lie up. Uh, we've, we've been told a lie, we believe a lie, and now we're lying to other people. That's what he's saying here. Every tract that you ever gave, that tract that Brother Jones left on the door, 
that older fella, that good-looking older gentleman that came to that door. Uh, he, he left that Bible gospel witness. It was a lie. Every door knocked on was a lie. Every church service was a lie. Every testimony, every preacher, every Christian, every hymn that we sing, every Bible is a lie. All of this, it's all founded, if Christ be not risen, it's all founded and built upon a lie. The centuries of Christianity, the prophets, John the Baptist, uh, Paul himself, Jesus, all have been lies. If Christ be not risen from the dead. Fact number five. He says out of verse number 16 and 17. For if Christ. For if the dead rise not. Then is not Christ raised. He mentions the same thing as he did earlier. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised. Your faith is in vain. And look what he says. Latter part of 17. Ye are yet in your sins. Ye are yet in your sins. If there's no resurrection. You're still in your sins. What a disastrous consequence this is. Are you, is anyone prepared to die still yet in sins? Are we prepared to, to take that on? We're dead in our trespasses and sins if there be no resurrection. The Christian would be no different from any wicked pagan or unbeliever. Still dead in trespasses and sin. We all die in our sin. And John 8 and 24 tells us. In other words, there's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. There's no remedy for sin. There's no pardon. Uh, the bondage of sin is everlasting. It, does not, it cannot be broken. There's no victory over uh, sin. There's no hope ever of breaking the bondage. If Christ be not raised from the dead, you're still dead in your trespasses and sin. Fact number 6, verse number 18. Then they which also are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And we know that fallen asleep, it isn't again, it's not speaking of soul sleep or any other kinds of things. It's speaking of the separation of the body, to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. That body goes to the grave. But this is speaking of death, physical death. And if this is the case, there's no resurrection. Listen, there's no hope of any of us ever coming up out of the grave. There's no hope of any of us ever seeing any of our loved ones that have gone on before us. I cannot fathom that kind of thing. There's something when you come to a very difficult time in life, when a dear loved one has passed on, there's something of the grace of God that ministers to our hearts. And this is the truth that gives us hope and that keeps us going forward and looking forward to that coming again of the Lord. Um, we'd be no different than the unbeliever who sorrows because they have no hope. Fact number seven with regards to the resurrection. He says, if this is the case, out of verse number 19, if in this life we only have hope in Christ. Now, again, the construction of this verse Speaking of a dead Christ, there's some preaching that he's dead. He's, he's not come about of the grave. If our hope is only in a dead man, a dead Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, we ought to be pitied. Now that's the idea. Pity on them. 
Look at the bunch of fools. Look at, listen to them all. All the Christians, all their, 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 their most miserable. And they are to be pitied for believing such outrageous, outlandish things. Uh, you can't believe that people would hold on to these, this kind of nonsense. They've lived their lives dying to self. They lived their lives sacrificing going to the mission field. They've lived their lives saying no to the, to the pleasures of sin for a season. So that they might come to know Christ for eternity. They lived their lives for the Lord believing that there is a reward that's coming. They lived their lives for Christ. He is risen from the dead. Uh, this is the, the last one out of verse number 8. The last fact. He mentions all these facts. If there is no resurrection. Look what he says out of verse number 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And become the first fruits of them that slept. I want you to note that. There are seven ifs. And Paul, he, he puts a caveat to each one of these if Christ be not risen with the word if. If, verse 12, if 13, if 14, if 15, if 16, if 17, if 18. The, the ifs here. But then he concludes it. He concludes it with verse number 20. It's not an if. But now is Christ risen from the dead. There is a resurrection. That is the fact. That is the truth. Verse 21. And since by man came death. By man also came. Excuse me. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam. As in Adam all die. So even so in Christ. Shall all be made alive. What an amazing truth this is. We sung a hymn just a few moments ago. It's, it, to me, it's quite amazing. When clothed in his brightness transported, I rise to meet him in clouds of the sky. His perfect salvation, his wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. That shadowy, dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me with his hand and covers me with his hand. This is the hope of the believer. It makes a difference. It'll make the difference in our lives. It'll make the difference in all, everyone's life. And I'm so thankful we got the promise of the resurrected Christ. And I'm thankful we got the promise of because he is alive, we too shall live again as well. Beyond this life. I'm glad we got more to look forward to than right here, aren't you? I'm glad that our hope is not caught up in Washington, D.C., Nashville, Tennessee, or Chattanooga. Our hope is caught up in Christ. Praise God for what he's done for us and his promises. Let's bow together in prayer.